Well, welcome to week four of uh, a series that we're doing as we're working our way through the book of Revelation. And we've been calling this series, The Lamb Wins. This is the final week of that series. And next Sunday's Baptism Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, we're going to look at uh, all the parts of Revelation that are confusing uh, all the things that you've maybe heard about, things like 666 and the beast and all of those things. We're calling the series uh, The Beast, the Dragon, and the Empire. And we're going to look at all of those things. Now, on your seat when you came in is this blank card. And this is for you. If you have a, a question about all of that, like, I've, I've always heard this, what about that? And you want to write that down, you can just leave this on your seat. We'll pick them up after the service. But uh, as we're going through this, if you have a question, feel free to write that down. Uh, I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We always read a passage of Scripture out of God's Word. uh, And we stand out of reverence for what God has said to us through His Word. And I'll read the Scripture aloud and you can follow on the screen from Revelation chapter 5. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll, the lamb, from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, we've uh, been starting this series on the book of Revelation, uh, this, this series, The Lamb Wins, uh, where John starts the book of Revelation saying that the book of Revelation is about Jesus. And so the first week we looked at how Jesus is the Alpha and the, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Uh, week after that, we looked about uh, how Jesus is the rider on the white horse. He's the judge on his thigh and on his robe is written his name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Last week we talked about how he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And what John's pointing out to us is Jesus is the point not only of Revelation but of the entire Bible, the 66 books written by 40 plus authors over 1,500 years that all point to the same person as the hero that we all need. And that person uh, is Jesus. And so the reason we started there is that you need to have that as the filter through which you read any interpretation of the book of Revelation. And any interpretation of the book of Revelation that you've ever known or been aware of or been a part of that does not point you more toward Jesus and who he is is not correct. And so that's the filter that we're starting with. And what John is trying to tell us is that Jesus is worthy. That's why here he says that the Lamb, Jesus, is worthy to take the scrolls. You're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and blessing. And uh, What he's saying to us is that Jesus alone is worthy. And if you were here last week, we talked about how anything else you try and put in the place of God in your life will in the end, at some point, disappoint you. And so you've got to pause and say, okay, what's the list in my life or in the world today uh, that people try to make worthy? What's the list that we could come up with? And uh, so I've got my list. You can have your list. But here's the things that are not worthy. You are not worthy. I am not worthy. Uh, Barack Obama is not worthy. Donald Trump is not worthy. 
Uh, your money is not worthy. Your boyfriend is not worthy. Your girlfriend is not worthy. Your spouse or your family is not worthy. Your job is not worthy. The Republican Party is not worthy. The Democratic Party is not worthy. America is not worthy. Those things might be good, but they're not worthy. They're not worth your time and your attention in the way that you would give them to Jesus. And if you balked at any of those things, then that's where you need to do some work on your allegiance and what you're putting uh, your allegiance to. I, I love how uh, the, the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said it. I don't know if we have it on the screen, but here's what he says. It's one of my favorite quotes. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! This is what John is trying to say to us. That Jesus alone is worthy. And so he gives us this uh, image of a lamb. That's the central image of the book of Revelation. The central image to help us understand what Jesus is like of a a lamb. He says it there in verse 6. A lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now what is is this a reference to? It's not rocket science. This is a reference to Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection from the dead. Because if it was just a lamb slain, we're just talking about the cross, but this is a lamb who's standing, who's beaten death itself. And this is about the cross. It's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians when he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is, read those last three words with me, what? The power of God. Say it again. The power of God. Now, if you've been paying attention, I hope you've noticed. Um, I've intentionally done this. Maybe you've picked up on it. Maybe you haven't. You may have wondered, now, why, why is the title of this series, The Lamb Wins, and, and all three weeks leading up to this, haven't even mentioned the lamb? Why, what's the deal? What are you missing out here? Well, this is the central image, and uh, it's kind of funny. I did this on purpose, too, but we have this, this picture, and it's on your weekly there, of this little kind of pathetic-looking lamb. And the first week that we had this out, I had multiple uh, people come to me and say, could, could we just make the lamb look a little stronger? I mean, this is kind of pathetic. I had a, a member of my family, uh, extended family, who was staying with us, who shall remain nameless, my mother-in-law. And um, <laughs> she, she was here. She loved Jesus with all of her heart. And she came to me. She had it in her hand. We came home to the house like at lunchtime. She's like, this lamb just doesn't represent Jesus. I mean, you can't you make the lamb a little stronger? And, and what I said to everybody was, that's the point of the book of Revelation. No one would believe that a little helpless lamb would mean anything. And so what Paul is saying, he says, it's a message of the cross. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, we understand this is the power of God, that the power of God doesn't operate the way the world operates. And so we're going to spend some time looking at the cross. Now, we get tattoos of the cross, and uh, I put a Facebook post up last night and said, hey, show me a picture of the cross tat that you've got, tell me to, cross tat that you have, and tell me, your, uh, tell me your ink story, and a bunch of you did that, and that's awesome. Uh, it's a little morbid, though, when you really understand the meaning of the cross, because this was uh, the equivalent for the Romans of the executioner's chair. Uh, it was an act meant to both torture and execute the victim, to humiliate them, as well as end their crime. Uh, it was a, a, a despotic act. It was an evil act. It was, uh, it was heinous. We'd be up in arms if a government did that around the world today and the human rights would be violated. But Christians say, with, from Paul on, 
that the cross somehow is the power of God. It's the way that God does what God does in the world. It's the power he exerts to change our lives. And so it would behoove us to spend a couple of minutes understanding what this thing right here means. Not that it's just an act that happened in history or something someone hangs around their neck or hangs from the rearview mirror of their car or puts on their body, but what does it actually mean? So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you four angles, if you will, on the cross. There are many more than that in Scripture, but I want to give you four different angles on the meaning of the cross. If you take any one of these angles, you'll kind of miss some of the things that Jesus did for you on the cross, and so we're going to do our best to understand them, and as we understand each of them, we're going to immediately apply them and ask, what does it mean uh, for our life? And if you want to write these down, we'll put them on the screen for you as well, uh, but here's, here's the first one. The cross means that Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our substitute. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in his thinking, he says that, uh, that Adam is the, the, the prototype human being, that Adam is like us. He was made by God in God's image, and he made dumb decisions, put in a perfect environment. He made dumb decisions anyway, and he screwed everything up for all of us. And, and he's the prototype human being because you and I, given the same environment, would do the same thing. I just know this about myself. You put me in the perfect environment, I'll still find a way to screw something up, right? If we're all honest, we all admit that would be us too. And so he says that he's the first Adam. And then Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians that Jesus is the second Adam. And where the first Adam got it wrong, the second Adam got it right. Where the first Adam screwed it up, the second Adam made it up. And so he says it this way in 1 Corinthians. He says, For since death came through a man, the first Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, the second Adam. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And on the cross, what is happening is Jesus is substituting himself for us. Let me give you a, an image it's like you're in a WWE wrestling match in a tag team, right? And you're pinned on the mat. And there's no way you can tap out. There's no way you can tag your partner. But your partner sees the predicament that you're in and reaches all the way in and touches you and comes in and puts the smack down on the thing that's hurting you. I mean, this is the image, right? This is exactly what's happening. And by doing that, removes from you the thing that is hurting you. Now, there's, a, there's a, a key image in the Old Testament where this idea of a substitute comes from. And in the sacrificial system that was set up for the Jewish people, the Israelites, um, there was a practice that happened where a, a goat would be offered as a sacrifice. We'll describe that in a minute. Uh, but then another goat, uh, the sins of the people would be pronounced on the goat, and the goat would be sent into the wilderness. Here it is in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 9 and 10. And Moses is saying this about his brother Aaron. Aaron, who's operating as the high priest, shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. Talk about that in a second. But the goat chosen by lot for Azazel, that's a Hebrew word, come back to that in a second, shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness for Azazel. Do you know what Azazel means? Azazel means scapegoat. You know, we talk about someone's a scapegoat. That's where we get that from. It's from this passage in Leviticus chapter 16. And what would happen is the sins of the people would be pronounced over the goat, and then they would send the goat into the wilderness and remove 
the sin of the people from the people. So on the cross, Jesus as our substitute is removing the sin from you. He's taking it away from you on himself. He's Azazel. He's the scapegoat. Now, what what does this mean? Well, what this means is that for many of us who are in the room today, we are always carrying around with us our sins. Everywhere we go, we're carrying around the things that we have done, our wrongdoings, and they become like a burden on our back. Now, this can be the things that we have done. It can be the things that have been done to us. Either way, it's like we put them in this knapsack on our back, and we put it on there, and we just carry this weight around, and it weighs us down. And what happens is maybe it's something that we've done. Maybe we lied, and so we feel like, well, now I'm a liar. <laughs> becomes our identity. Or you're abused, and that your identity becomes, well, I'm just worthless. I'm a, piece, I'm a throwaway piece of trash. And you carry that burden around with you everywhere you go, and you don't know how to remove it. You don't know how to get rid of it. How do I get rid of this weight? How do I put this off of me? How do I stop thinking about that? Stop feeling like I'm always going to be that person? How do I do that? Uh, there's a story um, that was uh, probably for several centuries one of the most read stories in the English-speaking world. It was, it's by a guy named John Bunyan, and the book is called The Pilgrim's Progress. And, and he wrote it as an allegory of the journey of the life of faith of a Christian and, and the person in the story, the main, uh, main character in the story, his name is Christian, and he's traveling from the city of destruction to the celestial city. And if you've ever read any of this, I used to read a, a, a children's version of it when I was a kid, and, and there's, if you know how he starts out on the journey, he starts out on the journey with this knapsack. He's just handed this burden in life that we're all handed. And it's this weight that he feels everywhere he goes, and he wishes he could set it down, but he can't set it down. But somewhere on the journey from the city of destruction to the celestial city, he comes to the cross, and to his wonder and amazement, the burden falls off, and it's removed from him. You've got to understand that Jesus on the cross is removing from you the weight that you cannot remove from yourself because he's our substitute. Second thing is that Jesus is our sacrifice. And this points to the Old Testament. There was this sacrificial system. It's, it's the idea that someone's got to pay for what happened. Uh, maybe you were like me, and when you were a kid, you didn't listen to your mom, and your mom said when you would go into the living room, now, kids, don't play with a ball in the living room. Now, why did your mom say not to play with the ball in the living room? Why? Because you would break the lamp. I have broken the lamp, right? I am guilty. You know what happened? For, in order for that lamp to be put back together, you know what someone had to do to put that lamp back together? Somebody had to pay for it to happen. And so there was this elaborate sacrificial system that the, the Jewish people put together where they would uh, sacrifice an animal and people would bring their, something from their flock because it represented their wealth. We bring money today, but they brought part of their flock because that was their wealth. And they would make all these different kind of sacrifices and there would be a thank offering and a fellowship offering and a sin offering. One theologian puts it this way. He said what was happening in that was like what we do when we give flowers to someone. You know, guys, when you really screw up and you go to the store and you buy your wife flowers, Hours. What are you trying to say? I'm a complete idiot. I did it totally wrong. I don't even know the right words to say. Here's some roses, right? On this occasion, I'm, I'm trying to say, I'm trying to make it up. And that, that's what the sacrificial system was pointing to, is the need that someone needed to pay and take away this sin. But the problem with that is that it never ends. When you're trying to pay for your sins, it just, guys, it never ends. 
That's why the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament, who's reflecting back on the sacrificial system of the Israelite people, says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, you can't pay. Your debt is too large. My debt is too large. Uh, We pay it off, and then we immediately rack up another debt. It's like we're bad with the credit card that is our humanity, and we're always overcharging, and we can never get out of the crunch of our credit debt, right? We can never do it. And, And we have this huge debt that we've incurred, and so Jesus comes and on the cross sacrifices himself. This is how Hebrews says it, unlike the other high priests. Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins. What's the three words? <laughs> say it. Once for all. You gotta say it like you really mean it. Once for all. When he offered what? Himself on the cross. The image that uh, comes from this is in the, the Passover. Maybe you know the story of the people of Israel when they're enslaved in in Egypt, and the, the, the plagues happened, and the last plague was the plague of the, fir- the death of the firstborn, and, and God goes to Moses and says, listen, what's going to happen? An angel's going to come and take all the firstborn, and what you need to do is you need to take a lamb. You see the connection? And when you sacrifice the lamb, take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts of your home, and when the angel of death comes, he will pass over you. Here's how Tom Smale says it. He says, uh, 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 he says, what the sacrificial lamb's blood on the doors did for Israel in Egypt helps us to understand what Jesus was doing for the whole world on the cross. So John could say when he saw Jesus for the first time, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does this mean for us? Some of you are trying to pay. And, and you feel like, okay, I did, I did this bad thing. Okay, God, I'm going to do two good things. Now, do those good things, do they make up for the bad thing? Oh, it didn't? Okay, let me do one more good thing. And you're always playing this game of credit and debit. And it's like, you're never quite enough. And it's like, is that okay? Are we okay, God? Because I did three, I did four good things. I read the Bible today and I prayed today. Does that make up for what happened the other day? And we're always trying to pay because we feel like we owe for what we've got. I, the other day I had breakfast with uh, a leader in a church. We had breakfast together. And I had my back to the restaurant. I was kind of facing the wall at the back of the restaurant. And uh, the waitress came at the end of the meal and slid the check. And when we got up to go, I turned the check over and it said, someone has paid for your meal. And if that was you, thank you. <laughs> but I, I don't know if what happens in your heart happens in my heart. But at a time like that, I feel like I need to pay. I, how, do I, how do I find them and pay for this? The cross is that it has been paid for, and you can't pay for it. And that Jesus on the cross, so that's why the writer of the Hebrews can say, he is able to save completely those who come to him, come to God through him. Completely. A third thing is this, is Jesus, our, Jesus is our reconciliation. Now, if you and I uh, get into it, uh, then we're going to have, uh, we're going to be at odds. You know, motion causes friction. And, and we're going we're gonna, to gonna be distance between us. Uh, the picture that the Bible paints is that it's way worse than just distance between us is that we're actually alienated from God because of the things that we've done in our own minds, because of our behavior. Uh, Paul says in Colossians, says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, you're, you were an enemy with God. It doesn't say that God saw you as the enemy. You saw God as your enemy. 
And be, you, it's because of your evil behavior. You would say things like, why would I want to worship some fairy god in the sky? Seriously? Because you were intent on your own way. Jonathan Edwards, who was a, a pastor in the early part of the Americas, uh, when America was here, and he was a very influential guy. Some people say he's the smartest person who America has ever produced, uh, smartest thinker, but he was also a pastor. And um, he said about this, he said that um, what happens when we, by our behavior and in our own minds, see God, we end up with a low opinion of God, and so we, then we have no interest in God, and we want what's contrary to God, and we feel disgust toward God, and so we do things contrary to God, just despite God. It's like my sister, when she grew up in the same house that I did, and she didn't want anything to do with the church and she said she would go to a bar to drown her sorrows and someone invariably would come up to her um, out of love and try to share with her the love of God and she said I would mock them I would make fun of them she knows Jesus today but she's she's trying she's trying to reconcile the distance and she's she's at odds with God. And so this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 2, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Do you understand that God's the one who made the first move? You could imagine this like uh, this cross is in the middle of a canyon. Let's just go with me on this, right? And right here is a big rock formation and over here is a big rock formation, and let's just imagine the distance is unscalable by you and I. We cannot bridge the distance on our own. The cross is God bridging the distance and saying, you're over here, and you feel like I'm over here. Guess what? I made the first move, and I'm bridging the distance between you and me. So this is why, uh, this is why Paul says, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Now what does this mean? Uh, many of us are trying to hide from God, and we're trying to convince God. Once we finally go, okay, I, don't, I guess I don't want to be God's enemy, and we're trying to convince God that we're okay, and we're trying to bridge the distance on our own. And, 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 and really what we've been like is we've been like an abusive husband who buys his wife flowers. And what God does is he absorbs the abuse. He s- absorbs our hate toward him on the cross, And now he says it like this, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. On the cross, you're reconciled to God. Uh, Fourth thing is that Jesus is our victor. Jesus is our victor. John says it this way, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of of the devil. How many of you ever felt like there's some force against you and you just don't know what to do? Like, I, don't, I don't know how to stop this. I feel out of control. What the scripture says is that this is a contested world right now. We know who wins the war because the lamb wins. Jesus is the victor, but right now we have to fight this battle. And, and uh, we don't ever really talk about this, but I've more than one time, not many times, but someone has come to the office or I've gone to where they are and we get to talking about their life and then we talk about the, the things that have them in bondage and they say, I don't know what to do about it. And, and we say, okay, let's just pray. Let's just ask God to set you free because Jesus is the victor. And this has happened more than once. Okay, again, we don't lead with this. We don't really publish this. More than once, I've had the person respond in a voice that is not their voice. Uh, I've seen one time a person writhe on the ground like a snake and say things that they couldn't have possibly known on their own about people and other people in the room. 
Now you go, well, that, that, that didn't happen. I'm just telling you what happened, okay? <laughs> you can ask some people on staff that the last time that happened. It was, we were all like, what just happened? The point is, is that there are powers and there are principalities, but that we don't have to be afraid of them because Jesus is the victor. He has conquered. And so Paul says it like this, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, on the cross he made a public spectacle of them and triumphed over them. Now what does this mean for us? Uh, let me give you two images about, about the powers that we feel. One is addiction. Uh, you, you probably know that the CDC has declared our county, as, as many counties around the country, at epidemic levels for uh, drugs, for meth and methamphetamines and opioids. And so that means they're just people that are, are addicts and they're totally out of control and they don't know how to stop it. And, and, and the message of the cross is that you can be free. The other image I'd give you is shame. Shame is the message that comes to you, not that I've done something wrong, but that I am wrong, that I fundamentally am defective and cannot be repaired. And the way the scripture says it, because Jesus is our victor, is that we have an enemy, and the enemy is Satan and his minions, and that he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the father of lies, and he is always trying to condemn us. Have you ever been trying to do something good, and a memory of something you did years ago comes to your mind, and you go, oh man, I'm just nothing. Why would I do? I'm so stupid for doing that. I was sitting down right over there before the first service, and something came to my mind that I'm not proud of that I did 25 years ago. And it came to me in the present moment. I'm like, oh, I, I don't have the right to stand up on that stage. See, that's the, the message of the cross is that's not the voice of God's spirit. This is how Paul says it in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. You don't ever have to hear the condemning voice again. You hear the voice of your father that says, I'll, draw, I'll, I'll rescue you from that. I'll rescue you from your addiction. I'll rescue you from your shame. This is, this is, all these things are what the cross does. They're all about the power of God in your life. We don't have time to talk about how the cross also means you have gift righteousness, that God declares you righteous and gives it, righteous and gives it to you as a gift. We could talk about uh, in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and everyone at the marriage supper is given clean linen. linen. It's a gift. You don't earn it. Well, we could talk about how the cross is a healing, that provision is made for your physical and emotional and spiritual healing on the cross. Uh, we could talk about how Jesus is the example. He's the perfect example who does what we can't, but also shows us what we're to do and live a sacrificial, uh, other-centered life. All these things are what the cross does in our lives and what it means. So my question for you is what do you need today? All of these things is when John tells us that there's a lamb still standing as though he'd been slain. This is what it all means. And so Tim's going to come and we're going to play and we're going to receive uh, the elements of communion. Um, but as you come down for uh, these, these elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread uh, and the juice, I, I want you to come down with what you need uh, do you need a burden removed that you just don't know how to get off your back? Then you need to know that Jesus is your substitute. Uh, do, you, do you feel like you're constantly having to pay and you can never get it right? And Then you need to know that Jesus is your sacrifice. Do, do you feel at a distance from God and you don't know how to make up the gap? Then you need to know that Jesus is your reconciliation. 
Do you feel like you're under the thumb of some power that you cannot break out, a thought pattern or a behavior or an addiction, and you go, I don't know how to break out of this? Then you need to know that Jesus is your victor. And so for, if it's for the thousandth time when you come down and you take the bread and dip it in the cup, or if it's the first time that you come down, I want you to know this, is, this represents the Lord's table and that there's a seat at the Lord's table for you. And if this is the first time that you're coming to the Lord's table, this can be the first time you come to the Lord's table and receive the benefits of what happened for you on the cross, right where you need it. So I'm going to pray for us. And so I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would. We'll come together and receive the elements of the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, thank you for the cross. Thank you that you're the lamb. Slain, but still standing. Thank you for the foolishness of the cross. To the world, it's ridiculous that a little helpless lamb would do anything, but we see see your power hidden in it the power to remove sin, to pay for a debt, to bring us close, to set us free. We see your power in it, and we want your power. And so I pray for my friends today who for the first time, they need to know the power of God in their life. They need to know your power. They need to know one of those things. And if that's you, maybe you would even repeat in your own mind and heart, say, God, I I need your power. Here's the thing I need your power for. I don't know what to do. But I'm going to come today to your table And come under the power of the Lamb who wins. And so wipe the slate clean for me. Give me a new start. And so God, thank you that any moment uh, the power of God is available for us. The power of God. Thank you. I pray this in your name. Amen. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he was with his disciples at a meal. And he took bread and he broke it and he said, this represents my body that's broken for you. And he took the cup while he was with his disciples and he lifted it up and he said, this cup represents my blood which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take, eat, and drink and be thankful that Christ has died for your sins. So as you're ready, I'm just going to invite you to come down and um, you can leave with the benefit. You, you can leave with the blessing of knowing that you serve the Lamb who wins and that you're sent then to love God, to love people and serve the world. So come to the Lord's table right now.